Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. My name is Scott Berry and today I'm incredibly excited. We've got an amazing guest for you guys, Dominic Q. He is a speaker, he's a coach, he does a lot of work with men, women, relationships, and he's even an author of a book called Design Your Future, Three Simple Steps to Stop Drifting and Take Command of Your Life. We're really excited to have Dominic come onto the show and bring his heart, bring his love, bring his wisdom about fulfillment and an assortment of topics. So Dominic, welcome to the show. Scott, thank you so much for having me, man. And, you know, one of the things that I like to say is there's a difference between success and fulfillment and strong leaders demand both. So I'm really excited to be talking to you today about fulfillment and getting your spin on it, getting mine, and uh, let's see what we can do to serve your audience. So it's Dominic and I've also heard Dom. What do you like better? (laughs) Whatever rolls off the tongue. Most I respond to both, man. Either one's fine. Beautiful. I kind of gave just a a really brief view. Why don't you give the audience a little bit about uh, your background, what you're passionate about, and just a a little bit of a synopsis of kind of what you're doing in the world. So my work in the world right now is to help men discover and live the great man that exists inside of them. I run a podcast called The Great Man Within Podcast, and I run a mastermind for men called The Great Man Mastermind. And it's predicated all on this belief that every man has a great man living within him. You know, most of the men that I work with have have this feeling that they're that there's this potential that they can't quite get at. They know they're capable of more. Many of the guys who come to me are already pretty accomplished in the traditional ways of life, you know, like they may have a family, they may have the job that uh, is that pays a lot. Um, they've achieved a lot of the external things they thought would make them happy. And then on the inside, they start to feel like a little bit of this sense of stress, of, of, of um, restlessness, of maybe even being trapped in the life they've created for themselves. And they don't know why they don't know where to begin. So, you know, the men who I work with are interested in designing a future they can't wait to live into, right? Which is the book that you just referenced, Design Your Future. And they love this concept of, well, maybe there's this kind of like average version version of me, this default version of me, but what is the great man within me? Right? Like what's he capable of? And like, you know, most guys know who that guy is because like he's he's shown himself, right? Scott, like, you know, the, the biggest moments in your life where you've been courageous, where you make it where you made a decision where you didn't have all of the information available, but you stepped up and did the thing, uh, where you were able to just to know the right next step. Um, that's the great man living inside of you. And he's the guy that uh, most men want to live more often. So it's my mission to help uh, more great men find themselves. Beautiful. On just the basic topic of fulfillment, how would you define what fulfillment is? And that can be overall personal fulfillment or fulfillment in your career or fulfillment in your relationship, or it could just be kind of one lump sum. How would Dominic define fulfillment? Yeah, you know, I used to define fulfillment almost like as this achievement of something and this achievement of, okay, well, I've got the career, I've got the financial stability, I've got the relationship, I've got the, it's basically like I used to define fulfillment as 
all of the external factors, all of the circumstances of my world, once those were lined up perfectly, that would be when I would be fulfilled. And I think many of us over the course of our journey, you know, where we've strived so hard for that thing that we thought would bring that fulfillment, once we've gotten it, we recognize that it was like kind of this fleeting moment of excitement and then followed by disappointment and questioning as to why it didn't feel better. And, you know, actually to help, to help kind of even crystallize this point, years ago, I studied Nichiren Buddhism. And in Nichiren Buddhism, there's this concept called the 10 worlds. You know, the lowest level world, the first world is hell. That's hopelessness. The 10th level world is enlightenment, right? So you kind of see between the top and the bottom what's pretty obvious. But what fascinated me was the seventh world. And the seventh world in Nichiren Buddhism is heaven and nirvana, Now, what was fascinating to me about that is I grew up Catholic, right? I went to seven years of Catholic school, grew up uh, as an altar boy, and heaven was the end-all be-all, right? Nirvana was where you wanted to get to. That was it. That was the end destination. So I was questioning that. And what I learned from some of the like the teachers and the elders is that the way that Nietzsche and Buddhists define nirvana is when all of the external circumstances are lined up to your liking. And it can give you this temporary feeling of bliss, but as soon as one of those things falls out of alignment, like one of your clients leaves, like your partner triggers you, like your kids blow up, they're not acting the way that you want them to, or we have a global pandemic, or we have, you know, like you're talking about anything that shifts away from your liking, then you suffer. And so the highest form of, of, of really a fulfillment of enlightenment, the way that I've come to learn is if I on a regular basis, day in, day out, can feel fully engaged in my life. And sometimes that means being fully engaged in the pain that I'm experiencing or the grief that I'm suffering through or the frustration, like to actually engage with that fully versus running away from it. Cause that allows me also to be fully engaged in conversations like these with you, Scott. I mean, think about this, man. Like I spent 15 years in a financial services organization, Prudential Financial, where the company was great. I had a wonderful career that I'm so thankful for. And at the same time, I never really loved what I was doing. I never felt lit up by my life. Four years ago, I left. And now I get to schedule my day. I get to have conversations like these three or four times a day where I feel alive and there's nothing else going on in my world when I'm in one of these conversations. Regular, deep, full engagement and fulfillment every single day is the way that I define it. And it doesn't come from the external world. It comes from the internal state. Hmm. It keeps reminding me of that famous Tony Robbins quote, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I think so many of us really strive, you know, and I was one of them and I won't rehash this because I've went through a big part of my own personal journey. Uh, If you want to go back, listen to episode number two, a couple of years ago, but it basically states that I literally went through the corporate world and really loved it. You know, we became very successful at it, but then got to a point where I was looking around and saying, great, I've achieved this. Now what? And there was like this momentary feeling of, wow, I've made it, but why I'm not fulfilled? What's next? And I think what I really loved about what you said is when you start to move into your heart, your, your mission work, your, your purpose work, 
and whatever that happens to be, that you start to love life in the high times and even in the suffering and in, in the low times as well. And I wonder if maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit where there isn't really anything outside of you that is going to pull in to your own personal fulfillment. Even when you're going through an incredibly tough time, you lose your job or uh, you get divorced or heaven forbid something you know tragic happens like cancer to a beloved family member. I wonder if you can maybe speak to that a little bit. Maybe you've heard or spoken about there's a difference between pain and suffering, right? Pain is a human experience. We all have it. We all experience it. A lot of us are experiencing all forms of pain right now, the way that the world is is going. And suffering is is a choice, right? Suffering oftentimes comes from craving the the, the reality to be different than how it is or um, fighting the reality. So for, here, here's a quick example of this. When I worked at Prudential Financial for 15 years, one of my favorite people to work with was a woman named Stan Boyle. It was short for Chris Stan. So she went by Stan. And Stan in 2015, her daughter, Harper Jane, was diagnosed with leukemia. Now, Stan had to undergo like multiple years with, you know, with her daughter going through chemotherapy treatment in a way that was obviously terrifying for a parent. There's nothing worse than your kid getting sick and then maybe not surviving. And Stan and I had this conversation just a few days ago, a few weeks ago. And she said, you know, Dominic, over the multi-year process that we helped shepherd Harper through her chemotherapy treatment, by far and away, the the worst part of that multi-year experience were the first 30 days after her diagnosis. And I remember scratching my head and I was like, well, why Stan? And she said, those first 30 days, I was in denial. I didn't want to accept the fact that my daughter had leukemia. I didn't want to accept the fact I was going to have to pull a five-year-old out of school away from her friends who were living a normal, happy, healthy lifestyle while she was going to have to be plugged into IV drips, stuck with needles, throwing up, losing her hair, missing like real time to bond with her friends. I didn't want to accept that. And I also thought that maybe I was to blame for that. Like there was something that I did as a mother or didn't do as a mother that caused this some way, right? And even though that's not rational, right? Like, you, like someone can't cause cancer, but it was just like her motherly instinct. And she said for the first 30 days, her denial, her resistance of what was happening caused her to lose sleep, not eat well, be short with her partner, to bring fear to her daughter Harper instead of love. And there's no judgment there because how, how, how could you possibly imagine what you would do in a situation like that unless you've been through it? But what she ended up doing on day 31 was accepting not surrendering to a point where like she didn't care anymore. In fact, it was a recommitment to caring in a whole new way. She accepted the reality that Harper has leukemia. This is going to be financially challenging for the next two years. I'm going to live with a constant state of fear in a different way that I've ever known for the next few years until Harper's on the other side of this. And I got to buckle up for the long haul. And what Stan ended up finding in that, even though it was never easy When she made that shift, it became easier. And as a result of that, even though she wouldn't wish leukemia on any child, on any family, she can look back on that and say, that was a time where she tested her mettle. She became stronger as a woman. The family became stronger. And like, I'm willing to bet that every person who's listening to this episode right now has gone through an experience that when you went through it, it was torture. You wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but it's what made you the man or the woman you are today. 
And, and really what becomes the game changer here, Scott, is like when we learn to fortify our inner foundation, to find fulfillment from the inside out versus the outside in, when we enter periods of time like pandemic or illness or racial revolutions or anything that's emotionally challenging, even when we are experiencing and suffering loss, we can still find the beauty in what's going on because we know there's me. And I think the last place I'll go here, and I'm sorry this answer is so long, but I think the way to punctuate what I'm talking about here, Viktor Frankl wrote one of the most important books of my life called Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Viktor Frankl, since you know him and maybe some of your audience members are unfamiliar with him, he spent three years in concentration camps during the Holocaust. He was stripped from his family who was exterminated. He was beaten. He was starved. He had all of his freedoms stripped from him. He had no control over his environment, none. And yet he knew that the only thing that he had control of left that no one could ever take from him was how he chose to show up every day with his attitude. He chose to find hope and meaning in the most hopeless and meaningless of circumstances. And he said, I'm going to survive this and I'm going to tell my story of how I survived. And his book, Man's Search for Meaning, has helped millions of people heal and be inspired in times like this and in other difficult times over the generations. So he was able to look at something that was a travesty where 8 million, 12 million people died. And he was able to say, even though this never should happen again, I could see there's these things that I learned that I can pass along for generations to follow where there are silver linings and there are gifts here. You know, that book, Man's Search for Meaning, I think it's been one of the most brought up book on the podcast. Uh, it's mm. very interesting. And and um, and th- thank you for sharing that uh, that really beautiful story. And it, it really goes upon a theme that comes up again and again uh, here on the Master and Fulfillment podcast. And that is this connection to freedom. And one of the ways that we really define our freedom is how do you feel like you're living a free life? How do you feel like you're living a life of one of purpose and one of connection? And the only things that actually drive that is your own sense of your own personal connection to, you know, your, your connection to your growth or, you know, your connection to divinity or God or however you want to phrase it in that own personal sense. And, Man's Search for Meaning really amplifies that in such a big way to think that you could actually have some type of purpose or some type of uh, even freedom. I'll go so far as to even call it freedom and fulfillment in an environment such as being in a concentration camp. For me, that's been one of my biggest guiding points is how do how can I live a life where the only thing that I'm going to need to be fulfilled is just me and my belief system and my connection to something greater than me. And it's uh, it's actually the only tattoo phrase that I have on my body. And it says, believe wow. in your divinity. And what that represents is just really believing in the, the greatest part of who you are. And as long as you are so connected to that, I believe personally that that's what's going to get you through a pandemic. That's what's going to get you through some of the, you know, we've all had incredibly hard speed bumps in our lives. And the question is, 
what resources internally and also externally can we pull in to help us through whatever those are. And I feel like that's where freedom really comes through because that's the human experience. Being enlightened doesn't mean all of a sudden your problems just kind of dissipate. You know, what it does is it just allows you to reframe what those are and to be able to move through them a little bit more gracefully. And, you know, you're right. You will always have pain, but the suffering, the suffering is optional. That's right. Yeah. And the pain can teach us quite a bit too, if we're willing to listen to it. It has the potential to move you forward. And, um, you know, from my personal point of view, that whenever something is coming into our life, and even in a systemic way, it is an opportunity for growth. And it's an opportunity for us to look at something. And it's an opportunity to, to grow into something bigger. Or if we don't allow it to, to pull back into fear, you know. Um, so beautiful. You know, that quote that you brought up earlier, every man has a great man living within him. I'd love to touch upon that just a little bit more. And again, if for, for those of you who have heard my process, um, I go into great detail about my journey and how I felt that even though on a checklist level, on a surface level, it felt like I was very successful and I was living a very uh, successful life, but there was something inside me that just wanted more. And I knew that there was more to life, there was more for me to give, and that I wasn't tapping my full potential as a human being. And um, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit more. Do you feel that most men, at least some point in their life, have that itch, have that knock, have that pull in them? And what allows them to answer that? And then what possibly makes them push that down and push that, um, you know, that, that little poking at them to the side? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. When I, when I gave my, um, I gave this TEDx talk back in December of 2018, and I, I'm hoping I'm going to remember exactly how I said this, but I, I, I talked about how I see men in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. It's kind of like men in their 20s are super hungry to make something of themselves in this world, right? There's like this fire that just is like passionate, it's burning. And because it's, you know, typically the age where you kind of finally leave, you know, the, uh, the constructs of maybe school or education. Sometimes that happens earlier in teenage years for other people. Many of us like kind of got, went through a system. And then like when you're in your early 20s, it's like you're shot to make something of the wor- in the world. And there's a lot of guys like, boom, like blown out of a cannon. There's a lot of fire and heat there. Hmm. And then our 30s, we spent a lot of our time, you know, kind of like going about and, and doing the work and like really getting good at our craft. And then our 40s, uh, we start to like achieve a lot of the things that we that we went after. Sometimes it happens in the 30s, but a lot of the, the things that we um, wanted start to bear fruit in the 40s, but we also start to wonder like why it doesn't feel better. And then I see a lot of men in their 50s living what Henry David Thoreau calls living a life of quiet desperation, right? Like this quiet desperation of, I want more. I want to leave. I don't feel a sense of freedom. I feel trapped. I'm restless, but the stakes are too high. I'm too fully committed. I don't know where else Mm. to go. I'm niched in my job. I can't switch careers now. You know, like all that stuff comes up. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, most of the men that I end up working with are typically like, you know, mid thirties through mid fifties, um, because that's kind of the, the, the group that I specialize in. And a lot of these guys have kind of made something and they've recognized that, holy cow, it's, it's not everything I thought it would be. 
And I think that most men can relate to this idea of what it feels like to have fire. You know, even if like you were a teenager, maybe like you were the person who was going out and breaking up and vandalizing stuff. Like at least there was like an energy there to it, whether or not it was harnessed correctly. You can, you know, you can, you know, you can debate that, but there's also this sense that many men go through this experience that many men go through of I've settled, you know, like I have, I've taken what's comfortable and predictable. And I have like, I've built my life around safety and security and predictability where I've strangled any sense of creativity or excitement or mystery or spontaneity or surprise. And like that fire slowly starts to dim. And, and when that happens, it can be unless, unless that person, unless that man has an awakening or, and those awakenings can come in many different forms. We can talk about that. Or someone comes in from the outside and kind of smacks them around a little bit and says, Hey, wake up before you go to sleep for the rest of your life. Um, where a lot of men do like there are men, you can look in their eyes and you can see the fire has gone out. Um, and it would take an act of God for that to come back. And my mission here is to, to short circuit that trajectory and help to men, help men to discover that greatness that exists inside of them. And then to live that guy more often than not. I think most men have gone through that. And, you know, I'd love to get your feedback on this is, you touched upon when you have, when the stakes start to become a little bit too high. At this point, you've got three kids. Uh, you've been married for a while. You've been in the same industry for a while, but there's not that same level of fire and that same level of just, ah, oh, like passion. And you can almost feel that they're not being challenged enough and that there is something more, but there is too much to lose. Like the stakes are too high. How do you address that? How do you answer that? You know, how do you help your fellow brother who can feel that, but the overwhelming fear of losing it all, having to shift everything, going from a you know one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollar a year engineering degree or uh, engineering career, and you just kind of fallen out of favor with it to doing something else that you truly love? How do you help someone like that? What do you say to somebody like that? Yeah. For, first and foremost, you acknowledge his fear and then say, mm. yeah, I get that. Like that's, mm. that's valid. Welcome it. Right. So, so first welcome that. And then, and then we can have a laugh about this because Scott, what, one of the things that like people do in general, not just men, people in general, we, we, we think about like worst case scenario or, or best case scenario. And we hardly ever explore the gazillion options that exist in between them. So in this case, it's kind of like, I have this thing but like I automatically assume that the change I'm thinking about is we're going to require some dramatic 180 degree turn or 90 degree turn, which puts everything that I've built at stake. And most guys kind of stop at that, like, oh my gosh, like I can't do that. And that paralyzes them. And what I'm saying is, guys, there's an infinite number of other things that you can do to just start to like cultivate and curate that sense of spark and aliveness back in your life. Let's start with something small. And this is where a lot of the guys like kind of, you know, like to enjoy these challenges that I put together, right? Like th there's a, there's a PDF or there's a, there's a podcast that I did on the great man within that's called five ways to become a mentally tougher man. Right. And there are these practices of like, we just talked about before we started recording, I have the, the men in my mastermind doing the 100 push up challenge over the next 90 days. Men love challenges. They love to see what they're made of. 
the 21 men in my mastermind are not fitness buffs or gurus. Like they're, they're guys in the mastermind who can do no more than 15 pushups right now, which is great because what this exercise is about is really nothing about pushups. It's about your mental fortitude, envisioning, learning how to set a dedication and make something mean, make this mean more than a physical exercise. And we have constantly these different exercises, these different experiments that you can run with your life that cause you to see your life in a different way. Because when you get stuck in the mundaneness of waking up and going to bed the same way, making the donuts, doing the same thing over and over and over again, that's where we get into this malaise. And the idea of quitting your corporate job or the idea of launching a business or whatever thing that may be appealing to you, it seems like a Grand Canyon size gap away. Well, then what can you do to chunk that down and start to play with your life right now? It could just be reading a personal development book. It could be committing to sharing on social media 10 days in a row, some of your, your thoughts, whether you're a poet or maybe just someone who wrote down something of, of interest and seeing what that does to your life, maybe bringing some fear and excitement into your life. There's so many ways that you can get started on the path. And then as you go on the path, you start to take bigger and bigger risks that don't feel like bigger and bigger risks because you've already gotten comfortable with it. And that's where some of these big changes ultimately end up happening. If, if they're ever meant to happen. It sounds like movement is also a big part of that progression as well. Um, I know that uh, in my own life and in the men that I work with, that everyone is geared a little bit differently. And I know some gentlemen, uh, and I am definitely not in this camp, where what motivates them is to literally burn the boat and jump in the water and start to swim. Where some men, uh, and I'm more like that, in order for me to change careers, I can't burn. (laughs) I can't burn the house down. I literally have to kind of put my feet in the water and then start to migrate a little bit more because jumping in the water will be so overwhelming to me that I'll shut down and the fear will just come over me and overtake me. And so I do think that uh, different men have different types of motivation. And um, I think what you, how you brought it up, progress, momentum is such a key part. And I think that's where fulfillment is too. And I think also that's where we get a lot of our gust and a lot of the fuel is seeing progress and just seeing some type of momentum. You know, I, I always believe that a big part of fulfillment is growth in, in anything. And so um, I love the 100 push-ups for the men. And it sounds like it's not really, I mean, just the topical level about it is the physical aspect, but it's about so much more. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that. Do you have any other rituals that you're doing with men that kind of help them reframe what they're capable of? Yeah. um, So there's a number of things, you know, one of the, one of the exercises that we did in, um, in the great man mastermind where we brought this group together just, just a few months ago, right before like quarantine hit. And we did this immersion, like a two day online, four hours Saturdays, four hours on a Sunday. One of the exercises that we did, this is less of a challenge, but more of a really interesting exercise was <laughs> I, I showed a picture of the Dos Equis most interesting man in the world. Mm. Right? You remember that guy in those commercials? Yeah. yeah. And then I read off a few of those things, you know, the pretty funny like comments about like who he is, why he's so interesting. Yeah. And then I was like, what if I were to tell you that you are the most interesting man in the world? 
We spend a lot of time being fascinated with other people, especially like as we're connected in so many different ways on so many different social media platforms, connected on all of our devices. We get a chance to see some really interesting people and we give a lot of our energy attention externally. But it's like, what if you were to be fascinated by yourself? And I'm not just saying like curious about yourself. Curious is kind of like, man, yeah, maybe shoulder shrug. I'm curious about that. Fascinated means like you can't take your eyes off of something, right? It's like you don't even have a choice. So if you can learn to be fascinated with yourself, like there are all of these portals inside of you that you have not yet discovered yet. And all of those portals inside of you, like think there's a, think of it this way. Maybe there's a mansion inside of you with thousands of doors that you have yet to unlock. And behind every door is something that fuels your fire, is something that could set you off on a journey of like freedom and excitement and fulfillment in your life that you haven't even opened yet, but it's right there inside of you. What if you could be mm. fascinated about finding those parts of you? Mm. And so like one of the exercises that we did with the guys, this was super simple, was I want you to write down 10 interesting things about yourself. And this was harder for most guys than you, know, than you might think, but like I wrote things down like um, I read books written for women. I once ate three Chipotle burritos in one day. Um, I've been punched in the face three times, but I've never thrown a punch in my life. My sister is my greatest teacher on manifestation and how to open my heart. You know, just kind of like wrote these things down. And a lot of them were so like, so different, so diverse. And then we had each guy break into a small group and then read them to each other. And the two other men who were listening, their job was to figure out the essence of why that was so interesting right? Like helping play the role of the, mm. uh, the archeologist and digging. So dig, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like help that man dig as to why he thinks this is interesting, but also find out for you why you're interested in this. Because a lot of the time, the thing on the surface was just kind of like a, you know, it was just kind of like a flag for, Hey, go deeper, drill down deeper. And then these guys through inquiry and through sharing started to find out how fascinating each other were, but also it's like, Whoa, I didn't realize I'm so cool. And once these guys woke up to themselves over these last few weeks, I can get them to do crazy things, man, because like they're down for it. They know that there's always like a new insight. There's always a new aha because they're, they're now getting a chance to see what they're capable of. And that's been elusive for them for, for quite some time. Uh, so those are, those are kind of like, that's just another example, Scott, of, of one of the ways that I, I shake these guys up. Yeah. And that sounds like this really gives them the opportunity to not only see those fascinating parts of them, but also see the potential parts of how even more fascinating they can be. And I, it sounds like you almost kind of get some momentum going in them. And then once that fuel goes, it's almost like things that stay in motion, uh, kind of continue in motion kind of thing. Correct. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, man. So you talk a lot about how to design your life, how to design like your most fulfilling year. And I'd love to touch on that just a little bit. And maybe you can give us just a few overall tips on um, how to design your life, um, you know, just some, some broad characteristics. And then since, you know, we are recording this in the middle of a pandemic, we have Literally for the last nine years, we've had some of the strongest economy. We've had um, some of the lowest unemployment. And I'm talking more economics here. Um, and then all of a sudden, our world got shattered like we never thought we would 
see in our lifetime. And things like the Great Depression and wartime, you know, Josh and I talked about this just a few episodes ago about how we are just living in such a different time and we probably will never have to experience what our grandparents have gone through. And it's, it, it's, it's so mind-blowing, at least for me, having to go through this and everybody is affected. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit to, you know, what are some fundamentals about really designing your life to, to bring in more fulfillment and how do you do it in also a time in which there is so much uncertainty right now? Yeah, it's actually these two things that you're bringing up dovetail perfectly. So to understand how to design your life, the first thing you need to understand is why you haven't up till this point. Like what are the things that actually stand in the way of living a powerful life? So I'm going to introduce you to this concept of drifting, which came, which, which I have learned from one of the immortal classics, Napoleon Hill. So I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here, Scott, because Napoleon Hill is like one of the like one of my greatest teachers, even though he's been dead for decades. So if you don't know about Napoleon Hill, his most famous work is called Think and Grow Rich. There are 10 books that have ever sold over 50 million copies worldwide and non-religious texts. Most of them are like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. But the only business slash personal development book that hits that category is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Now, he did his work during the Great Depression era, as you were just talking about, right? And he had a mentor by the name of Andrew Carnegie of Carnegie Steel. And Andrew Carnegie said, Napoleon, if you want to understand how the rich have gotten so rich, the most successful people in the world have become so successful, go out and interview 500 of them and then write the book about that. So he went out and did that. And this, he was kind of like Tim Ferriss before Tim Ferriss, right? Tim Ferriss does tribe of mentors and like, you know, those, those kinds of things, unpacking the wisdom and the genius. Napoleon Hill went and interviewed the Henry Fords, the mm-hmm. Roosevelt's, the Rockefellers, King yep. Gillette, you know, JP Morgan, all, Charles Schwab or the, yeah, yeah, Charles Schwab. And he mined their secrets, wrote the book, Think and Grow Rich, which has become basically the Bible for to how to attract riches in your life. But the secondary piece of advice that Carnegie gave Napoleon Hill is really where I want to draw upon based on your question, which is if you want to understand the full human experience, not just the successful, then go out and interview 10 times as many people who at the end of their lives felt like they left chips on the table, like they lived a life of regret. Go talk to them, mine their secrets, write that book. Because that will be just as important, if not more so, than the book on riches. Oh, interesting. So Napoleon, mm. so Napoleon Hill went out and he took 25 years, according to Hill, he took 25 years and interviewed 25,000 people in that situation who had left chips on the table. He mined their secrets and he ended up writing this book called Outwitting the Devil, which his estate buried, his family buried because they thought it was too controversial because he takes shots at education systems and religious institutions even though he's a highly religious man, but they buried it and they didn't have that book come out until the Great Recession back in 2010 and 2011. Think and Grow Rich came out during the Great Depression and then Outwitting the Devil came out during the Great Recession. It's quite interesting. And I remember it was Hurricane Sandy here in New York City where all of the lights, the power, it was a complete blackout, no Wi-Fi, no cell service for five days. All I had was a flashlight and a book And these words from the devil and outwitting the devil, 
like hit my soul and have forever changed my life. And I want to say them to you because maybe it will do something for you. It'll stir something up inside of you as well. The devil says, I enter the minds of people through habit, right? I enter the minds of people through their habit. And through this principle, I can establish the habit of drifting. And when I get a person to drift, I can lead him straight towards the gates of hell. Now, what the devil is saying is, through this habit of drifting, we think that we are making conscious decisions about how we are living our lives. We think we're behind the driver's wheel of our car, when in actuality, we're sitting in the backseat or stuffed in the trunk where our habits, our patterns are, like what's driving our car is really our habits, patterns, fears, what we've been raised in, the, the, you know, what people's expectations are, right? Our fears. That's what's driving our car for most of our life. And that's where one day bleeds into the next. We are on autopilot. And it's usually only when an outside force thrusts itself upon us. Do we wake up from this slumber, from this state of drift? And it's usually something pretty crappy like a global pandemic. Now, this goes back to what we were talking about before, Scott. If if those of us have done some inner work and have been on this journey for a while, we can start to see that we are living in one of the most unprecedented times in all of humanity because there has never been anything documented where the entire world was going through the same thing at the same time together. The entire world where we are connected and where we all know that everyone in the world is going through the same thing. This has never happened before. And so on a number of levels, we are waking up to our interconnectedness as a humanity for the first time. It's almost like watching the movie Independence Day with Will Smith, where the aliens are coming from outer space. And like, we kind of leave our own quabbling behind, equibbling behind as, as humans, because we're like, oh my God, there's an alien. Let's turn our attention to the alien and kill that. The virus has done the same thing for us. And if you haven't done any inner work, then this can be an extraordinary time of suffering and seemingly senselessness and meaninglessness. But for those of us who have done that inner work, even though we are affected quite differently, some people have lost loved ones, businesses, sick themselves, we're all on a different spectrum of what we've experienced. But if you've done inner work, you can also start to see that something is shifting in humanity that if we grab it, if we make a conscious commitment to being a part of building a better normal, not going back to normal, but building a better normal, then we've got something exciting ahead of us. I like to like it to uh, this this theory of the spiritual two by four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it, it's when your inner guidance is asking for a shift, and it's typically you calling it in through outside forces. Um, the same thing happens on a systemic level uh, through society, and you know I'll give a very easy example of you know an alcoholic who is looking to stop drinking and you know all of a sudden he ends up breaking up with his girlfriend because of um, drinking too much and he's like ah I know I need to stop drinking and it just it's it's not enough and then you get that little poke that little internal poke and then you lose your job and it's not until you get hit by a spiritual two by four and you almost kill two people in a DUI crash and then all of a sudden you wake up and it's like it's you're not so thankful about the DUI crash, but you're thankful about the realization and the the moments of 
awakenness that you get through that. And I, and I feel like we as a society are poked and we're poking and we're poking. And this is what's happening with the environment as well, where until we get, you know, maybe four Sandys or, you know, something so big that a level that makes Katrina look small, then all of a sudden we start to wake up and like, wow, we got to do something else with mother earth. And there's, there's something about when that comes and you talk about doing this inner work that we're able to frame it in a different way that says, where is the possible love in this? Where's the possible growth from this? Where's the possible opportunity to connect with my higher self, to connect with my fellow brother or my fellow sister, to look at something that needs to be looked at in whatever that happens to be. And it sounds like um, it's a very similar um, situation, but I love your whole analogy of, of drifting. And, you know, a lot of this work is really bringing the subconscious to the conscious, you know, that's right. Um, it's, it's about bringing our actions and 90% of what we do on a daily basis we're completely unaware of. And then how do we bring that to a conscious level? Because I think ultimately most people are very good hearted and we have a intention to really do right by ourselves and for society. And it's um, a lot of times it's through uh, hardships that we go through that we are reacting a lot of times in fear and not always realizing the way in which we are kind of um, showing up in the world because it is kind of buried deep down. But yeah, I do love your right. analogy with, with, with drifting. Yeah. And, and, you know, to take that a step further, Scott, it's, you know, when we wake up from drift, whether it's through a global panic or a spiritual uh, pandemic or a spiritual two by four, sometimes it's a spiritual Mack truck, right? That runs you over. They're all different versions of that. <laughs> and, and like, and, and listen, like many of those moments in our lives, I know Scott, you've had them. I've had them. We can look back on them again and say, that's what made me the man or the woman that I am today. I wouldn't mm-hmm. trade that even though I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. But if the only things catalyzing meaningful change in your life are outside forces that are thrusting themselves upon you, then how in control of your life are you really? Mm-hmm. Right? You're just drifting along waiting for someone to hit you with the, the two by four or the Mack truck. And that's not really an empowered place to live. So, you know, like, like understanding why we don't live a lifestyle of our own design, why we don't have the freedom that we want, why we don't feel the spark that we want is because we've let drift take over, right? And you know the three quick steps that I write about in the book, Design Your Future, and I've got episodes on top of episodes on the Great Man Within podcast where you can, where you can go into this, this conversation around drift and then how to design a future you can't wait to live into. So you can go over there and listen to a bunch of these episodes in a deeper dive. Beautiful. But the three- and, and we'll put links for all of, um, all of these reference materials um, on the podcast page too. Perfect. Great. Yeah. And the three quick steps I would say just to break free from drift are awakening, disrupting, and designing, right? Like awakening means learning how to wake yourself up to where you've been drifting. I I make a distinction between awareness and awakening. Awareness, the way I define that is like, you can be aware of something, but not ready to change it. And awakening is that next step of I'm aware and now it's time to change, 
Hmm. Right. Like a smoker might be an example of like, Hey, I know this is not really great for me. I'm aware of that. I would like to change, but I'm not quite ready to do the work. So that's like awareness and awakening is like, Oh, this no longer serves me. I'm no longer willing to stand for X and I'm ready to make the work happen. Unintentional awakenings happen all the time. That's the spiritual two by four. But if you can start to create intentional awakenings in your life, you know, meditation is a great form for that. Listening to podcasts, reading personal development books, joining masterminds, getting a coach or a therapist, right? Like you see this all the time in your work, Scott. Mm -hmm. And so like once that awakening occurs, then the disrupting is the next step. Basically disrupting your normal patterns and your habits, disrupting your thought processes, disrupting how you wake up in the morning and disrupting how you go to bed at night, disrupting your relationship with pornography or caffeine or sugar or gambling or video gaming, disrupting those behaviors so you can get new feedback on what's working, what's not. And then now that you have all this information, that's where you go to this third step around designing a new relationship with porn or a new relationship with your, your workout routine or a new relationship with your life. So, you know, break free from drift through awakening, disrupting and designing. I'd love, I'd love you to touch a, a little bit upon, and, and you brought it up a little bit briefly, and that is the role and the importance of environment. And so when you're like, you're looking to stop smoking, you're looking to get off of porn, you're looking to switch a behavior or pattern or whatever it is in your life that you feel like, okay, this is not serving me. I've kind of, I've put the stake in the ground and I'm going to change it. Uh, why don't you speak to a little bit about how important uh, your environment, your internal environment, um, you know, like what you're reading, um, you know, the news that you're that, that you're looking up every day, to the conversations that you're having with your wife, to the people at the cubicle, to the food that you bring into everything else in your environment. How does that come into play? Yeah, let's talk about a couple examples. So let's let's talk about external environment, right, and the importance of that. You know, one of the things that pretty much everyone will agree to is. I don't know exactly how much time I'm spending on my phone, but I should probably be spending less, mm. right? Like there's not a person I know who's committed to using their phone more. Right. We all recognize on some level that these devices have captured way more of our attention than we think is probably healthy, but we can't also seem to make it like the changes, right? It seems complicated. Well, one of the things that I've done over the last three years, I've spoken all over the world and asked the same exact question to probably 20,000 people now. And I even asked, like, the, be the, the best example of this is I was in Dubai. There were like members of six different continents in the audience, probably about 200 people. And I asked them the question of how many people in here use their cell phone as their alarm clock? And 80% of the room raised their hands. Now you're talking like all different cultures, races and religions from all across the globe. And 80% of the room used their cell phone as their alarm clock. I actually found that to be quite consistent across the United States where I do most of my speaking, right? 80 to 90% where I used to do my speaking before all the conferences got canceled. And what I said next is, if you use your cell phone on, as your alarm clock, and that's an external environmental factor, one of the things I can probably also tell you is that most of your more, or that, that a good part of your morning, your best energy when you first wake up and your last few moments before you go to sleep are probably spent buried in your phone. And the reason why I know this is because I've, I personally, when I first started tracking the time I spent on my phone three years ago, I found that the first 45 minutes in my morning 
like as I as I woke up, were buried in my phone, social media, text messages, things that piled up overnight, news, going to the outside world first. And at the end of the night, when I was tired, exhausted, no willpower, I'd be in my bed looking at my phone for the last hour of the night. I spent an hour and 45 minutes on average every single day, bookends of my day, morning and evening, buried in my phone. And as I've gone and spoken and done consulting around this, I found that most people have similar habits or patterns around that, sometimes way more than that. The simple act of removing your phone from your bedroom and replacing it with like an actual alarm clock or something else to wake you up in the morning. Some studies have shown by bringing it out of your bedroom, you can reduce the amount of screen time you spend on your phone by up to 50% per day, up to 50% per day. Many of us use our phone for three hours, six hours, eight hours a day. Now, even if you didn't get 50%, even if you got like an hour back per day, can you imagine what you could put that hour or two on a cumulative basis. You don't have time to meditate. Now you do. Hmm. You don't have time to take care of yourself. Now you do. You don't have time to work on your relationship. Now you do. So the importance of environmental factors is taking the phone out of your room. James hmm. Clear writes about this in Atomic Habits. You take your, your TV out of your bedroom. You make a decision once like that, and it eliminates thousands of decisions that you have to make down the road. Do I watch the show tonight or not? Do I turn on the TV tonight or not? Do I watch this extra episode or not? It's the same thing with your phone. So external environment, some of these decisions can mean truly the difference of thousands of hours over the course of these next few years of your life. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about where you see in your work some of the blocks that sometimes come up in having people be able to create a fulfilled life, to be able to design a life that they want to live, um, or even to be able to, like we were talking about earlier, disrupt the current paradigm in which they had already built. You know, I, I've already got an established medical you know, medical practice, and I don't want to teach medicine anymore. I want to be a kayak instructor. I don't, whatever it happens to be. I wonder if you could speak to a little bit about, you know, what are some of the the, the blocks, or um, you know, what could possibly get in the way of having someone design the life that truly makes them fulfilled. Number one is they try and do it all on their own. I mean, this is one of the things that I talk mm. about all the time, especially because my audience is men. Women do this much more effectively uh, in like, you know, in aggregate level than men do. But I say this all the time on my podcast. So does Brian Stacey, who's my podcast partner, personal development on your own. It's slow, it's shallow, and it's incomplete, slow, shallow, and incomplete. I see so many guys, I think I did an episode called the Goodwill Hunting Syndrome, where I see so many guys running around. If you ever seen the movie with Matt Damon, right? Yeah. Goodwill hunting, like yeah. a genius, right? And 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 like the way he plays his life is like he lives in Southie, Boston. He's an orphan. He's got his three buddies, but he's wicked smart, and he's got like a you know memory and a brain that is like unlike anything that the world has ever seen. But he doesn't have lived experience, right? And and like he kind of plays these small games. He just reads all the books. Instead of going to see the Sistine Chapel, he'll read a book about the Sistine Chapel and then talk to you about it, but he's never like smelled the dust or the musk of being there and taking it in visually. But he can tell you all about all of the other things. I see so many men 
who are just reading the books, who are just listening to the podcast, intellectually consuming, like they're sitting at a buffet getting fat on information, but they never like go out and talk to other men about it. They never do the inner work with others. They sit behind their own computer screens. They never take the risks. And oftentimes, like the, like you've probably seen this too in your work, right? Like when you do like, like larger groups of, of um, facilitation, sometimes people can't, we can't see ourselves until someone else is doing that thing. It's so much easier to see someone else do that thing. It's like, oh my God, I do the same thing. And most guys don't know what it's like to do inner work with other guys. So not doing it on their own, you know, like stepping out, hiring a coach, stepping out, joining a men's group is like, is one of the most important things to get out there uh, because a block mm. oftentimes is just going at it all on their own. Yeah. Well, it's in that, it's in that the subconscious is in that drifting part of, of uh, your subconscious, because a lot of times you're just, you're unaware of it. And, and I just, I want to take just a couple of minutes to, to dive just a little bit deeper on that, because I think you hit such an important topic, Dom, where you look, this is true for both men and women. You know, since both of us do a lot of men's work, I'm going to focus a little bit about men. And we did a podcast on this about the lonely American man. And you mentioned how this is a little bit easier for women. And, you know, having your environment to where you have a resourcefulness, where you have a, as my wife would like to say, a personal board of advisors to really help you through it, whether like good friends, you have a therapist, you're, you're engaged in very high level conscious growth inducing conversations to be able to, to, to bounce back into spotlight, you know, maybe things about yourself that you can't always see. Uh, what we have found is that a lot of times men have a lot harder time to be able to reach out and to ask for help or to be a little bit more vulnerable and to get into that practice to ask for help, to uh, connect with other people in that type of framework, it is so important. And, you know, for someone like me who is, I call myself a, an inert introvert, but a learned extrovert. So I can go up, I can mm -hmm. speak, I can facilitate, but it's not where I get my charge. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely an introvert by nature. And for me, it's definitely been more difficult. It's always a work in progress for me to be able to reach out and to connect in groups. And I've been getting a lot better at it because I've been doing it for quite a few years. But I know that for a lot of men, reaching out and, you know, getting into a group with other men, like the ones that you facilitate with, it literally just amplifies the acceleration of growth that you can bring into your life. I mean, it's just, it's so profound. A hundred percent. And, and, and most guys don't even recognize that they have a hard time reaching out. There's a, there's a study that was done. I think that I don't know if it was conducted by him or if he reported on it, but Arthur Brooks, who's an expert on happiness, and there's a lot more talk about happiness like six or seven years ago, but I think he wrote like six or seven books on it. And he said he showed studies that the most unhappy person in the world is a 45-year-old man. Like across the globe in different cu cultures, like a 45-year-old man is the unhappiest person in the world, oftentimes because he's consumed with work, many times has kids and aging parents, more responsibility on his shoulders and no skills on how to take his relationships deeper mm. and probably hasn't stated, you know, all of his relationships are probably tied into work. Guys are great at keeping, you know, drinking buddies, 
and, you know, group texts where you, you send around funny memes or, you know, you, you joke around on the lowest common denominator stuff. I'm not above any of that. Like I'm part of group chats for that because it helps me to blow off steam. But when that's like all that men have yeah, and, and have nobody that they can turn to or nobody that they've curated a relationship with where you can actually open up a part of yourself that's raw and vulnerable and then and then not to get like machine gun fire advice back from the other guy because that's oftentimes like you know we're we're solution oriented and it's mm-hmm. just about like okay fix this problem yep. to actually have someone who knows how to like listen and who is actually interested and and I would say that almost every guy already has access to a man in his life that has the potential to go deeper like it may not be one of your closest friends but there is probably someone in your ecosystem right now that you haven't tapped, that you haven't, um, you know, that you haven't, that you haven't like, you know, made the effort or energy to go deeper with, but he has the potential and all it takes is for you to reach out and start, right? If like you want to be a leader, it's your, it's your opportunity to be the one who goes first, open yourself up first and then get a sense for it. Is this guy, is this guy game? And you'd be shocked at how many guys are just sitting around waiting mm. for someone to, to make the first move. Like they're craving it. And I can walk into a room of the most like hardened dudes. And, and like, I know a few things that can be said or done that can just relax the room where these guys are like itching to spill what's really going on inside of them in a way that feels powerful, not weak, because it isn't weak to be true. And, um, and if you are the one who goes first, you will probably be quite surprised at how game the other guy is. By volunteering and being that example of being vulnerable, but but doing it in a way that's, you know, you're still masculine, you're still strong in who you are, but but being vulnerable in the share, a lot of men, and there's even a lot of men who are craving it and don't even realize they're craving it until it starts to come through, until they start to, you know, bring that into their world. Man, it can be such a game changer for for most men. And again, this is for women as well. But women, at least in my observance, is it's it's a little bit easier for women to connect and just go to that place a hell of a lot easier for men, especially for men that have grown up in households. And I don't know what your upbringing was like, but in in my upbringing, I had an amazing relationship with my father. Great upbringing. Um, very Norman Walkwell kind of uh, upbringing, but at the same token, my dad was very stoic and he wasn't very emotional. You know, would tell us he loved us, but not a lot of hugs until later in life. Until I started to kind of break that down and never really saw my dad cry. So a lot of us as men, we don't know how to not be that driven. Let's just do the tasks and let's keep things on a very surface level, sports oriented. Uh, dynamic with our fellow brothers. And, um, you know, I feel like it's, it's, this is the time and this is the generation that's slowly uh, starting to reshape what that uh, healthy, strong masculine dynamic looks like. And um, it's fantastic. It's really, really fantastic. Yeah, it is. And, you know, masculinity, this was something I learned from Esther Perel, um, mm. One of the, right? Like the, yes. I'm sure you and your audience, all, I, mean, I know yeah. you do. I'm sure all your audience does too. Esther Perel did uh, the Paradox of Masculinity Conference here in New York City about a year and a half ago. And one of the things I learned from that was femininity is basically a birthright for women. Masculinity is something that has to be earned yep. and then constantly vigilantly maintained over the course of life's actions. Correct. 
you know, and again, this is something actually I spoke about in the, in the TEDx talk too, where it's, you know, like you have to constantly prove that you're masculine by being aggressive, by having the answers, by being a winner, by, yep. you know, being heterosexual, yep. by being a man who's dominant over women or who has power over women. These are all like really super archaic and, 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 and toxically masculine forms of power. But I, I was certainly raised in a society where all the, many of those things were praised and validated. And at any given moment, if you don't finish your beer, your buddies are going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to question your sexuality or your gender. Um, you know, they're going to question your toughness. If you, if you don't like kill yourself physically going for that last rep on the bench press, you know, there's like all these moments where we're constantly losing our masculine or, or our masculinity is under attack. And so we fear if I open up and talk about the fact that I actually have no idea what I'm doing with my life <laughs> or, you know, like, uh, or I don't think I'm as good as I have imposter syndrome. I don't think, you know, everyone else think I've got everyone else fooled, but what if I were to be revealed and like to, like to hold these fears inside, um, and not to be able to share them with anyone because we think we're going to be emasculated in the process or I'm having sexual dysfunction issues, right? My libido is going away. Yeah. I can't get hard anymore. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I lose my erection now. All of these things could be talked about because so many guys are experiencing all of these things, but because we fear the indictment on our masculinity, then we we go out we go at it on our own, and that's why this epidemic of loneliness that you talk about, you know, like one, one of the guys in my mastermind, you know, he shared this with me. He goes, "I am surrounded by people all day long. I have a wife who I love and two kids that I love as well, but when they go to bed at night." I feel like the loneliest man in the world. Yeah. Because right? like there, there's parts of his inner world that he's never accessed himself. And as a result, he's certainly never shared that with the most important people in his life. And when you have people in that close physical proximity, but they don't, but you don't feel like they know you, then that's like a, that's even, that can be even lonelier than being on your own, living on your own with your own little chambers of secret. I'm going to link to a podcast that we did and it's about the loneliest American man. And it, this is a really big deal for, for so many men. And, you know, the, the question that got brought up in this, and it's also uh, tagged with a really great NPR podcast. And I'll link to that as well. And it asked this question, you know, if you were scared or in need, who could you call in the middle of the night to be able to talk to? Right. And that's a, more women can answer that question, but a lot of men can't. We can call them when we want to rouse them about the latest sports score, or we want to talk to them about going hiking. But it's for that reason, a lot of men feel very lonely. And it's also why men have a hard time after the breakup or divorce of a of a very tight knit relationship that men typically have a lot harder time getting over that. They have a lot more uh, mental uh, mental uh, issues with being able to move forward from that. And suicides are a lot higher. I have a really, really good friend of mine who was on suicide watch after the breakup of him and his girl. They've been together for four years. This was a guy that I lived with for a little bit. He was really great friend of mine. And he was a party buddy. And it was hard to have any kind of deep conversations with him. Well, the only time he was real and was able to talk about his true emotions was with his girlfriend. 
And when she broke up with him, his whole world shattered. He's like, who am I? You know, that was his one outlet to who his true individual self was. And all of a sudden that just got pulled away and he didn't know what to do. And that is really common for so many men. So I think it's a really great point that you brought up. And it, it, it's, it's, it's just so critically important that we look around and try to bring in those resources that can really help support. You know, one of the things that I, I talk about in doing my relationship work and the self-actualized relationship and the self-actualized marriage is where do we ask more from the relationship and then where do we ask less? You know, there's certain things that we can ask and, you know, there's certain things that I can ask from my wife, Michelle, that I can get a lot of support from, but there's also things that I can only get from my fellow brothers that she just cannot give me. And that's okay. And that's okay. And it's actually unfair for her for me to assume and put that unnecessary burden and pressure for her to be all those things for me. Yeah. And Scott, on that point, you know, the, the, this is probably something you see all the time also, but when men put all of their eggs, all their emotional eggs in the one basket of their, you know, if, if you're talking about in a heterosexual relationship with their woman, then what ends up happening oftentimes is like the, the relationship becomes completely depolarized. There's no more magnetism. There's no more sexual polarity because like now she's your therapist. And, and even though like sometimes like she can fall into the trap of allowing that to happen or even wanting that to happen because it kind of gives her this, this sense of he's coming to me and only me with this. And that, that, that in my set, in, in my world, that allows me to feel like safe, right? Like, because he's the, I'm the only one who, who can, he can rely on in this way. But like over time, that causes like a, a drift in sexual polarity. And most people don't even recognize that that's where like one of the divergences occur. So, you know, like I have a men's group on Monday night that all my buddies come, you know, like for two years, there's like nine of us. Most of them are in relationships. I think I'm the only one who's not in a relationship right now. And oftentimes, like some of the stuff that they need to let go of and process is about their relationship. And they can just let it go in that room supported by other men who can also like, you know, like relate to that experience. And then when they go back, they're like the strong, masculine, grounded presence that she really responds to. And that's, you know, that works. It works. The key polarity and being able to maintain that spark is so critically important. And it's one of the number one reasons why women in marriages have a hard time getting sexually ready and having their libido really strong, uh, especially when they have kids, because when they are in the mother role, they don't want to necessarily be the vixen. They don't necessarily want to be the mistress. And it's the mistress and you know, the slut, if you will, in quotes, that adds that polarity and that dynamism in the relationship. But when you're taking care of your husband or you're taking care of the kids and you're playing that parental role, you lose that that charge and that spark. And so it's just, it, it's so critically important to make sure that you're finding references and resources outside of the relationship. And it's really hard, especially when you really get along with your partner and, you know, they're like, God, they're my best friend and they're my lover. And it's like, that's all great in the beginning, but when they become your best friend and your lover and your bookkeeper and, (laughs) you know, all of that, it's really tough to 
you know, keep all of that spark going. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's really great. So as we start to come to the end, as we are recording this podcast, there is a lot going on. I mean, 2020 is such a profound year. You want to talk about a spiritual two by four, spiritual Mack truck. And I just, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to borrow that from you. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got the coronavirus. We have the shifting of the economy in such a, a, a big way. And now as we record this, we are in the midst of, you know, George Floyd's death and then all of these protests uh, against uh, brutality and racism. And there's just, there's a fuel all over the world. And it is all over the world. It, it's definitely more concentrated in the US, but it has its effect everywhere. I am talking to you here in a mic through this microphone as a white man. And I can't say that I've had that type of experience, but what I can say is that I have had direct priest brutality directed upon me. And it was one of the most scary things I've ever encountered. I thought it would be appropriate because it is so apparent right now of what's going on in, in, in the world of maybe just some of your feedback on, you know, what's going on, how you see this maybe interacting in your world, and then the world of the men that you're connecting with. And if there's anything that you would like to voice or anything that just kind of is top of mind for you right now, because it is such a, it is such a, it's sensitive. And then it is also just, it, it, it's a poignant right now. And it's just so alive. So I didn't know if there was something that you would love to speak to about what's going on in your world. Yeah, absolutely. I would, man. And yeah, I'm, I'm also speaking as and listening as a white man, um, 41 years old. And I live here in New York City, um, right in the heart of where a lot of the protests have gone down. Um, you know, there's been a pretty steady presence of helicopter um, choppers over my building. Um, there, there have been protests regularly over the course of the past few days. I've been to them. I've supported. I've marched. Uh, there have been police sirens. There have been break-ins. There have been everything around here. Like I'm in the thick of it. And I'm also part of you know some communities, a lot of communities that are deeply diverse and are in a lot of pain right now. And you know, one of the biggest decisions that I made a few years ago was to step off the sideline. Um, of, of, of the racial injustice and to start to really educate myself. And what that meant was like, you know, when I, when I looked at my bookshelves and I looked at all of the books that I'd been reading around personal development and other things that had caught my fancy, you know, the majority of the books were written by white people, white men primarily. And it wasn't something I intentionally like meant to do. It just kind of like how, these are how the books kind of came to me. And I was, my, my my privilege left me in a place where like I could kind of just be walking through and keep my eyes closed without having to to educate myself on a on a higher level. But as soon as I started to like really go deep in the lives of people who I care about, people of color, and in this case, like this revolution right now is about Black lives. And as I as I made the commitment years ago, like I started reading books that were written about race because most white people have not had really thoughtful, intelligent, deep conversations about race. It's been something that's really kind of scary and um, uncomfortable for us. So one of the things that I've done with the mastermind over these last few weeks is, you know, my mastermind is pretty much all white guys. That's not something that I'm proud of in, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm looking at 
What is it? What is it about me? What is it about the way that I communicate? What is it about the way that I market that doesn't attract a wider, diverse range? Maybe it's the group that I'm serving, and we we are asking those questions of ourselves so that we can say, you know, are we being exclusionary? What are we missing out on by not having members of the black community in our group right now who could give us perspective about what they're going through so we could support them? You know, like we're all missing out on that because our worlds have been too homogenous. And so like what the black community has really been asking for, at least in my listening. And what I mean by that is I'm following all the black leaders and the activists and the authors and the leaders and anti-racist educators on social media. I'm reading their books. Um, I've been reaching out and asking questions and what they want is they want, they want, in many cases, they're talking to white men. They want more white men to educate ourselves, to step off the sideline and to be voices of change. And they said that, no, you know, like one of the men in my men's group, Andrew, who is half black, half white, but, you know, because he looks black, he gets identified as black and has been treated as black his entire life. You know, he made this plea to us the other night in the men's group as he was breaking down in tears, exhausted from what's been going on his whole life and, and, and recently. And he said, I need you guys. We need you guys. I can't do this on my own. And so please listen, please educate, right? Please share, um, Mm. you know, please share what I have to say on your platforms, right? And, and find other black leaders and listen to their work and amplify their message, right? It's, and he's not saying, he's like, don't, he's like, I'm not saying to villainize the police department. Like I, you know, there are, there are wonderful police officers out there. There's plenty of bad actors out there and there's some systemic stuff that needs to be addressed, mm-hmm. but like he's coming to it from a place of we can do better, but we need your help. And so, you know, to answer your question, Scott, I'm looking at all the ways that I can be a part of the solution um, because I have a platform. I have people who listen to me. I have people who want to make a change and don't know how. And that's why some of the podcasts that I've recently been doing, like I just released one today called Anti-Racism for White Men Who Are Ready to Step Off the Sidelines. And the next one I'm going to be recording is going to be called Afraid to Stay Silent, But Terrified to Speak Up. And that's really going to be around you know, the men who want to speak up, but are afraid of saying the wrong thing or being criticized or being pulverized. And, and like, and how to get over that and some, and some ways to, to learn about like getting your voice heard and helping others to get their voices heard. So that's my stand, man. Beautiful. And, and I, you know, I love what you said and, you know, with the gentleman that's in your, in your group, the fact that he's like, look, we're not looking to have this exclusionary relationship. We want things to get better. We're trying to shine a light, but we're we're looking to do it with you. And that that's really powerful. Yeah, hundred percent, man. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for your uh, for your thoughts on this. This is um, you know it's a beautiful time, and I and I feel like this is such a a beautiful opportunity for for all mankind. You know, I, I feel like this whole year, I'm excited for what is ultimately about to kind of like flourish from this. And I think it could be really beautiful um, as long as we're all connected together. So thank you. I totally agree with you on that, man. Let's build a better normal. So as we conclude our show, we like to do something really fun and quirky at the end with all of our guests. And so if you're up for it, I'd love to 
spit out a few rapid fire questions just to get a little more personal view on who Dominic is. Are you up for it? Yeah, man, let's do it. Has anyone ever said no? Has anyone ever told you I'm not up for it? <laughs> yeah, we just don't post those. Okay. <laughs> smart, man. Are you a sweet or savory guy? I'm a sweet guy. Do you wear a watch or no watch? No watch, man. But I'm actually thinking about buying one, so that could end pretty soon. Okay. It, now, analog or digital watch? Analog. Come on now. Digital? Oh. Come on. Okay. No, no, All, right. All right. I, I was about to give you a little bit of shit from this whole, you know, having your alarm as your phone. <laughs> 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 like, I don't have my phone in the room, but I've got my Apple watch on. So. Gotcha. <laughs> Preferred first date? Broadway show or whitewater rafting? Whitewater rafting in a heartbeat. I would rather yeah. go. I would rather go like hiking in the Rocky Mountains. But if we're if, if we're talking nature, whitewater rafting will do just fine. Nature, yeah, got it. Okay, here's one that might resonate with you. Favorite quarantine workout? <laughs> My hundred push-up challenge, man. I mean, it's it's it, there you it, go. It's keeping us all um, <laughs> really connected. And uh, and I actually bought a weighted vest. I bought a sixteen pound weighted vest, which I just used for the first time today. So it's kind of like. And, and, and it's, it's, it's even heavier than it feels because it's all up top, right? Where you're doing your pushups. So it was really challenging to get those, to get those going. Right. It's 16 pounds, the first three pushups, and then it goes to 20 really fast. <laughs> and then you're 30. <laughs> uh, morning or night owl? I'm a morning routine guy, morning, morning guy. I do my best thinking. I love the mornings. I love my bulletproof coffee. I have this whole ritual of what I do in the morning and then evenings. I'm usually just like ready to wind it down. Coffee or tea guy? coffee thousand times more than tea. Like I will, I will reluctantly accept your tea. I will, I will cherish the coffee that you give me as long as it's quality. Okay. So I am currently in San Francisco recording this and you're on the other side of the U S one of these days we are going to meet and I'm going to bring you in to my extensive tea collection. And <laughs> I have this whole ritual and I, I do it with butter and I do it with ghee. And I'm, I, I, I don't want you to write off tea until you've actually had tea with me. So that, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. Well, I mean, I actually put ghee. <laughs> I usually I use grass-fed ghee in my coffee. So I think you found a bridge that maybe I can walk over. There you go. Uh, talking or texting? Oh, there's a time for both, man. Texting like through the day and then like to the people who really light me up energetically, let's talk. Are you an Apple or Android guy? Apple. Star Wars or Star Trek? Neither. I mean, Star Wars. If, you, if I, okay. I, don't, I don't watch either. Um, I, I used to watch Star Wars growing up, but like I haven't watched any of the, you know, the prequels or the pre-prequels. Yep. I, it's just neither of those genre really interests me. Dog or cat? dog and a heartbeat. I'm actually going to be buying a dog. I just don't know when or what kind. I'm following 20 different social media accounts, mm-hmm. but a uh, dog is going to happen. Love or hate black licorice? <laughs> I don't love it. Uh, I like black licorice. So if you were to give okay. me like a jar of black licorice as a gift, I would willingly accept. And you know what? I'm going to tip towards love because my father, and this is interesting. I should probably buy him some. I associate black licorice with my father, and therefore, I love my father. I, therefore, I love black licorice. One of your biggest pet peeves. Wow. I wonder why that uh, – there should be something quick. Why don't I have a pet peeve? You know what? Okay. One of my pet peeves this is not this is not very light, but when, when people reach out to me um, through, through – like when people reach out and just kind of like, hey, can I take an hour of your time? And like 
and, and, you know, cause like maybe they listen to the show or they see me speak somewhere and they just want to like pick my brain for an hour, take the information and then like leave. And there's like, no, thank you. There's no, Hey, can I write your review? There's no, it's just kind of like wanting someone wanting to come and take your wisdom and then not give anything back to you. Um, that is, that is, that is a pet, pet, pet peeve of mine. Well, beautiful. Dominic, uh, I want to thank you for coming onto the show and bringing your wisdom, bringing your heart. I can tell that you're incredibly passionate about helping people and, uh, you know, spreading this message of empowerment, fulfillment, and freedom. Why don't you tell people where they can learn a little bit more about you, uh, learn about your offerings and how they can get in contact with you? Yeah. Uh, I would invite you to come over to listen to the great man within podcast. Um, we have so many episodes there about how to live the best, the best version of yourself. We have deep conversations around sex and sexuality over there. Um, a lot of conversations around productivity, how to optimize your morning and your evening routines, all that good stuff. So the great man within podcast and then do innerwork.com. There is a resources tab at doinnerwork.com where we have so many free downloads, 12 books that every man must read, 18 business books that every leader should read, 15 books written by women that we love, meditations, five practices to last longer in bed. Like there's a bunch, a bunch of free downloads at doinnerwork.com forward slash resources. And then my books, like anything else that you want about me are, are there at doinnerwork.com. So come check us out over there. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. And again, for everyone listening, I hope this is informative. All of the links to all the resources for Dominic, along with other links to the book, like Think and Grow Rich, uh, Atomic Habits, and a few other things, again, will be on the uh, show page at masteringfulfillment.com. And again, you can find us on iTunes, anywhere else you guys get your podcasts. Any other questions, please feel free to reach out. We love all listener comments, loving or not so much. Feel free to reach out to us with much love and deep respect. Thank you so much. Are you ready to take your personal, relational, or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies, and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion, and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much.